0: When you get it there, I want you to just sit your Bible off to the side, and I want you to stand with me, if you could do that for a minute. You can mark that place and then sit it down on your seat or something like that. There you go. Now I'd like you to just get out of your seat and go say hello to someone. Greet them. Stretch yourself. is not It's the um, he's yeah. 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 Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) Praise God. He's so good to us. God is so good to us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It's good to see all of you today on this beautiful day. Remember the Jimenez family, they're traveling, graduations, I know it's the summer season, so different ones are traveling at different times. I will say, um, I it is greatly appreciated. Uh, it really is truly appreciated when you when you just communicate. My goal isn't to be in all your business, and uh, you have no obligation to do so. But it's sure nice when I get communication that says, "Hey, we're going to be out of town this week." We're um, now. If you've been out of town, you didn't communicate. I'm not picking on you. Don't. Don't take that the wrong way, um, but you all probably noticed. I usually am up over here on Sunday. Um, obviously, I'm worshiping with you. I'm feeling after the Holy Ghost with you, and but I'm also, um, well, I'm just praying for you, and I, I see you, and I'm here with you, and. And we really do notice when you're not here. Um, and I don't mean notice like, oh, man, where are they at? What's going on? I mean, like, um, our, our heart is concerned. We, we just trust and assume everything's okay. We don't assume the worst, you understand. But it's just nice to know, no, no, they're just... And so, um, again... I not trying to get in all your business you know not to say oh we're going to be gone here's what we're doing here's why here's when we'll be back not, I don't need novels or anything I just uh, but remember the Menez family there and uh, they're in Seattle with family graduations are happening so they're doing that and they were going to try to drive back last night they're like wow we think maybe what time's that thing getting over Oh, 10 or 11 I'm like don't try to drive back stay visit with your family the lord will use you minister there And so, and I believe that happened. So many doors of ministry are opening for so many of you, and I'm encouraged by that. But but thank you for a simple text. A text is great because I forget dates, as you know. And so I can go back and look. So, amen. Luke 17, you've got it saved already, so just grab your Bible there. We'll read, and then I'll let you be seated after this here since you're standing. Luke 17, verse 7. Luke 17 and 7. This is not where we're going to finish, and but this is where we're going to start. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say to him, to his servant, by and by, when he's come in from the field, go sit down to meat," and will not rather say unto him, to his servant, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward you shall eat and drink. Does he, this is the master, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, or I don't think so. So likewise, you... When you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. That doesn't mean what you did didn't have value. What the Lord is saying here is saying, hey, this isn't about me and what I've done. That's what he means by that statement. We are unprofitable servants. We don't get credit for what we've done. We have done that which was our duty to do. That makes sense. You ever you ever see a uh, award ceremony for a soldier that received a medal? If you go look and you listen and you hear them getting a, an award, almost always the response sounds the same in some way. I, I I just did what I was supposed to do. I, I just, it, it was, what are they saying? They're saying, I, I don't really deserve all this credit you're giving me. I I just, that's what I wasn't profitable. So I, I just did what was my, I had a duty and I fulfilled my duty. That makes sense. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I want to talk to you briefly about duty. And I want to talk to you about something greater than duty. All right. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that has been evident from the outset. We submit ourselves to you and to your holy word. I pray today by your grace and by your anointing that your word would reach into our spirit and be living word written on our lives. Father, I take authority over every spirit that would war contrary, and I pray a clear sound today from the throne room of God, the Rama of God released into this atmosphere and into our hearts, accomplishing what you send it to do. I submit to you and your leading in the work of your spirit. Without you, I can do nothing. We thank you, and everybody said Amen can be seated. That which was our duty to do. It's an interesting statement there in verse 10. Jesus says, and he's speaking to his disciples, he says, likewise you. He uses the example of a a servant coming in out of the field who had been working in the field with his master. They came in. They both came in. And the ma- they're both hungry. They both have needs. And the Lord, to His disciples, is painting this picture. And He says, you know, will, will the master tell the servant, hey, go ahead and eat? Or no, no, no. Will the master say, hey, first, I'm going to sit down and you're going to serve me. I realize we both have similar needs right now. Or we both have needs. But first, you're going... And the servant will do what he's asked. Jesus used that example. They didn't think that was an odd thing. Of course the servant's going to serve his master. He may be hungry, but he's going to do this. Jesus, sharing that example with his disciples, then said, so likewise you. When you've done all, not some, not one, not two, all those things which I've commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants. We've done that, which is our duty to do. You ever get tired of fulfilling your duty? I see some honest head nodding. Absolutely. Everybody wake up every morning during a weekday and go, Woo! I want to go to work today. It's my duty. I'm ready. Or those of you that get to stay it. I say get to have to whatever you work at home with your kids and dealing with the home and the care of children and and taking care of the home and chasing rowdy rugrats and all that stuff. I mean, that in the kindest, most compassionate way. Chasing them. Right. That's work. You just wake up and go, woo, another day of chasing them kids all over the place, trying to get them to mind me, fixing the meals, holding whatever. Right. But it, no, you know, but you, you're like, you know what? Today, this is my duty. And so I'm going to get up. I'm going to be at work on time. Why? Well, it's my duty. I have a responsibility. It's a word we don't talk about a ton. I have responsibility. And therefore, I fulfill my responsibility. You know, a child of God should fulfill their responsibilities. Not just in the kingdom. In our day-to-day living, we should fulfill our responsibilities. That is a good Christian witness to fulfill my responsibilities. Amen? Amen. So if I'm going to work, I go to work on time. I don't call in sick just because I want a day off. If I'm really sick, I may call in. But why? Because I'm fulfilling my responsibility. Well, uh, you know, it's it's okay to just talk plain about being a child of God. I've been in the workforce a lot of years. You know what? You know what days people are sick more than any other days of the week. You knew Mondays and Fridays. It never ceases to amaze me. People feel great Tuesday through Thursday, but some bug hits on Monday morning and Friday. Isn't that the strangest thing that out of seven days of the week, those two are the days that people seem to get sick? But inevitably, they seem to feel better on Tuesday or they feel really good on Saturday and Sunday. Friday just got them. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious. What is that? That's people who go, you know what, today I just don't think I want to fulfill my responsibility. I want to live for me. I want to live for me. And so doing our duty is not always enjoyable, but I have a sense of character. I represent Christ, and therefore I keep my word. That's just bonus this morning. So, Jesus is telling his disciples, when you've done all these things I've commanded you, don't go, Oh, look at all I've done. I'm, look at, no, that's what he means by don't, I'm unprofitable. I've just done what was my duty to do. The Lord gave me a commandment. I did it. I don't expect the brownie points or pats on the back. Or again, God's not against recognizing us, He commends us. But I don't go around looking, Okay, you know what? I did this for you, Lord. No, I just did what was my duty. Now, duty will only take you and I so far. Because here's what happens. You've seen it in the workplace. I'll use the workplace as an example just because it's something all of us can relate to in some form or fashion or another. After a while, you get tired of duty. Anybody? Now, you have good days. You have bad days. And you get reinvigorated, you get refreshed, you know, this is why you take vacation, right? I'm going I'm to go recharge and then, right, you get back home and you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation. <laughs> Anybody ever said that? Before I do my duty again, right? And so we step away, disconnect, that's the word we use. I want to disconnect. What am I disconnecting from? I'm disconnecting from duty because duty becomes wearisome. Duty can become tiring. Duty become a, a weight. And so it's why people go, yeah, you know what? I think I want a different job. You don't want a different job. You're just tired of duty. I'm not saying you need a different job sometime. You understand. Don't, don't. But duty weighs on us after a while. Man, I need a, I hear it sounds so many different ways. I need a change of scenery. I need, right, uh, the monotony, the rat race, whatever. All those things. It speaks of duty. Daily responsibility, daily doing, daily serving, daily. And and this is a responsibility of life. I'll, I'll never forget. One of my kids telling me, Daddy, I hate adulting. Yeah, it's overrated. I agree. You know, I I remember those carefree days of riding my bike all day and just get home by the time it's dark. And as long as you did, we don't care where you were. We just, right? Talk about trust. Of course, we lived on a military base, and so I guess they felt like I couldn't go, well, I could go far. but, But now I have duty. I have responsibility. So it is in the kingdom of God. When we become a part of the body of Christ, when we're, buried in his blood, his name is applied to our life, we're filled with his spirit, we now have duty. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, what? No, you're not that you are bought with a price, You, you don't belong to yourself anymore, someone owns you now. Whoa! Hold on a minute, I wanted to love Jesus and Jesus loved me, but what do you mean owns me? That's what Paul said, it's the word of the Lord. I have been bought with a price. That sounds like a slave and a master. That's exactly what it is. The difference is our master does not hold us in bondage. We make a choice because we know he's a good master. We know he's a good master. Paul started many of his letters with Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. If you look at that word in the Greek, the word isn't really servant. The word is actually slave. Now, he wasn't saying that negatively, like, oh, woe is me. I'm a slave to the Lord. No, no, no. He was saying it with rejoicing. Thankfully, he knew where he'd been. He knew what he had been a slave to. He knew what he had been in bondage to. And he knew the end of that bondage was not life, but he had been purchased by a good master. And so it was declarative with joy. I am a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I do now, I do out of duty to the master. But that doesn't mean you don't get tired of doing So there has to be something transpire in the life of a child of God that moves us from doing and fulfilling our duty to the Lord to where I wake up every day going, I'm excited to be a slave to the Master. And duty will not do that. There was a song i definitely won't sing it and i would dare say none of you in this room have heard it well except my kids and i would play it but the second i played it i, I thought about playing it this morning it's been turning in my spirit but the second it started playing some of you guys would be like oh my goodness it's like one of those old songs and it's got the old piano and you can go look it up and listen to it it's like old twangy like ooh, way back in the song is called a prisoner of love. It was written in, I think, in the '60s, maybe. And um, I did, I did put it on. Well, there you go. Recently, I don't want to do the YouTube. There we go. Here, I want you to hear. I want you to hear the words of this song. When I came to Jesus, I settled it all. I gave Him my life to control. Neither fear nor persuasion could draw me to Christ, but His love has captured my soul. I'm a prisoner of love. I'm a slave to the Master. I willingly toil through the heat and the cold. I seek no reward in this world below, unprofitable servants. I seek no reward in this world below, but payday will come when the pearly gates unfold. He holds me secure with his love, strong and true. I'm happy his servant to be. I'm in bondage to Jesus and forever I'll stay. My soul does not want to be free. I'm a prisoner of love. Isn't that beautiful? Now, what a powerful truth. What a powerful truth. What a powerful truth. Now, John 3.16, probably everyone in this room could quote that verse. And it declares this to us, For God so loved... Everybody say loved. God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved that he gave. There was something that motivated God to do what he did. It wasn't duty. It was love. And we see in the man Christ Jesus the wrestling between the motive of duty and love in the Garden of Gethsemane. His human will does not want to fulfill the duty placed upon him. His human will says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember the prayer? If it's possible... What is that that's crying out? That's a response to duty. The duty is greater than he wants to do. That's the human. But the spirit, the spirit says, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. What motivated him? He wasn't motivated by duty in the garden. He was motivated by the love of God. It was the love of God that laid down his life. It was greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. You could say, well, it was the duty of the Lord Jesus Christ to die. It absolutely was. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was determined from the beginning of time that he would die. It was a duty, a responsibility set upon the man Christ Jesus. But the only way he could see it through was the love of God becoming the motivator. Otherwise, it would be operation in his flesh. This is the declaration of the Scripture that becomes clear. The Spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak. Why? Because the flesh operates in duty, but the Spirit operates in love. The flesh operates in performance, but the Spirit operates in fulfillment of the will of God. And if I seek to do the duty of God all my life, I can do the duty of God operating in my flesh so far. So far, and that is what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee is one who recognizes the duty and the obligation of God and his word, and they seek to do as much of of it as they can, operating in their flesh. Their motivator is not love. Their motivator is performance and acceptance. But the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, God so loved the world. What's the world? What's he talking about there? The world there literally means the inhabitants of the earth, the human race. His motivator was his love for the human race. His motivator was not his duty. His motivator was his love for the human race. I've heard it said many times. You've probably heard it as well. Nails did not keep him on the cross. Love did. He could have spoke and came down and been done. It was love that kept him there. His love for the human race kept him on the cross. His understanding that if he did not fulfill his duty, they would be lost, but duty alone couldn't keep him there. It was the love of God for the people that kept him there. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. Watch this. For the love of Christ, what does it do? It constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge, or we have determined that if one died for all, then we're all dead. What's he talking about? Well, stay, Keep your hand right there. We'll come right back in just a second. The love of Christ constraineth us. That word compel means to err... Er, That word constrain means to urge or to impel. To impel means to move forward or drive forward by a force. So, I could get Israel here. Just for a second. Come here for a second. Now, Israel's right here. By force, I put him back in his seat. that makes sense? Sorry. Thank you for being an example. He's like, what are you doing to me? Okay. Now... By force, I put him back in his seat. Yes? I impelled him back to his seat. He was impelled by the force of my hand. Here's standing. How come he went down so easily before? He wasn't expecting it, number one but number 2 because he wasn't expecting it he had no resistance so because he had no resistance he was easily moved the love of christ constraineth us the love of strife the love of christ is the force that moves us. I do not move and act based on human will. I can, but the love of Christ is designed to constrain us, to urge us on. Not fear, the love of Christ. How do I know the love of Christ? It's right where Brother Ruben started this morning. He was in the Holy Ghost from the outset. I hope you were listening. I love him because, as he quoted from 1 John, he first loved me. And he so loved me that he gave his life for me. He commended or proved his love for me that while I was still a sinner... He died for me. No greater love hath any man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. And he's called me friend. He died for me. What kind of love? What what amazing love? What what great love? What consuming love? What everlasting love that reached to where I was in my lost condition? And it's the love of God that constraineth us. It's the love of God that urges me forward. It's the love of God that impels me. It's the love of God. It's not duty. See. I have to make a transition in my spiritual walk. There has to be something that takes place in mine and your relationship with God. This is why it's all about relationship. Because I can only live so long out of duty. I can only give so much out of duty. And I'll become weary. I'll give up. And people who live all their life in duty ultimately backslide. Oh, they may still sit on a church pew week after week. But there's no deepening relationship with God. There's no fulfillment in their daily living. Why? Because they're just doing their duty. They're just doing their duty. It's like that person that's been on the job for 20 years and it's like, they just show up. Well, at least they just show up. And sometimes you're like, man, it would probably, it's probably time for them to move on. but they've been here so long what do you do you just keep them busy doing what they can do because their only motivator anymore is duty now that's one thing in a workplace that's a totally different thing in the body of Christ And so there has to be this movement in our walk with God to where we go from duty to where we now are operating by the love of God, compelling us, impelling us, urging us, constraining us. Love of Christ constrains us. Constrains us to what? What does it urge us to do what does the love of christ impel us to do what is that force of god's love leading us to well let's read further verse 15 and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again so see first thing the love of god does when when i begin to receive the love of god it's, it's one thing to recognize it. It's another thing to receive it. And now I begin to receive the love of God and I receive it. And now I can't even live for myself anymore. I recognize how great is love for me. The love of Christ is so manifested to me again and again. I have experienced and I daily experience the love of God. Therefore, I can no longer live unto myself. I have to live to Him who died for me. I have got a glimpse. I have got a vision of the cross. I see the bloodshed. I see the crown of thorn. I see that nail pierced hand. I'm telling you, you should get in a place of prayer until you see the cross. If you get in a place of prayer and you'll see the cross, you'll get a glimpse of what love really is and it will impel you. What happens in our daily walk, we get too far from the cross and we just start fulfilling duty. This is why Paul said, I die daily. It's not just a denying of self. It's getting back at the foot of the cross. It's looking afresh at the price paid. It's looking again at the nail pierced hands. It's looking again at this back that was beaten with stripes and going. That's the expression of love. And I cannot do nothing in the sight of the love of God. It constrains me. It moves me. It wakes me in the morning. It takes me to a closet of prayer. It takes me to the Word. It causes me to reach to a soul. I'm not motivated by duty. There's the love of God operating. It constrains us. I can't live for myself because I see the great love of God toward me. I henceforth live not to self but to Him which died for me. You and I can't do that from a place of duty. I have to transition in my walk with God. starts with duty, but I have to recognize the love He has for me. Verse 16, Wherefore henceforth... Now notice... Notice the word of God here. I know it's King James English, so it's a little difficult for me sometimes. Wherefore, wherefore what? Wherefore the fact that we're constrained by the love of God and we no longer live to ourselves. Henceforth, or from that point forward, we know, no we, I know it says it the other way around, we know no man after the flesh. What does that mean? We know no man after the flesh. what I believe it means. When I see an individual now, I don't look at what I see in the flesh. I now see through the love of God. And when I look to a life, I don't see through the flesh. I see the way he saw me through love. He didn't look at me and say, you're good for nothing. I got no time for you you're such a waste to society. You you don't bring any value. No, no, no. He looked through eyes of love and said, I so loved them. I gave my life. And so when I look, I no longer look and I don't know men after the flesh. Now, henceforth, see, we don't know that way anymore. Now we know through Christ. It's a statement that's been made many times. It's from the 1930s. An author wrote it. I can't remember who said it first, but it was in the 30s. He said, you'll never look into the eyes of a person that God does not love. And so when I see from that vantage point, I no longer know men after the flesh. But I now begin to know men the way God desires for us to know them, as a soul that he died for and loves. And so love becomes my motivator for every man and woman I see. I was, as you know, I have a tendency to wake up early in the morning. And that varies for me. Some days it's, Two thirty. 30 some days it's three some days it's four it just varies that's true of some of you and once i'm awake i just get up i can't just lay there i'm not too good at that i'm getting better at that the older i get though but just because it's harder to get up out of bed but i get up and i'll talk to the lord and uh I don't do it other days of the week. Generally speaking, I really don't. Man, on Saturday mornings, when I wake up early, I just want to get in my car. And you think, who is going to be awake at 3 and 4 in the morning that would need a ride anywhere in Yakima? I'm going to tell you who's awake at 3 and 4 in the morning and needing rides. Young people that have been up all night. I could name people right now. I'm not going to. Just in the last few days. I picked up a couple this weekend. Young. I don't even know how long they've known each other. I think they may have met each other the night before. They came to the car. She wrapped in a blanket. Each of them carrying a large bottle of alcohol that was mostly empty take and drop the one off at one place. They're both pretty much asleep in the back. I drop the one off the man, the young man. I'm taking the young lady to the, other. as soon as he gets out of the car, she sits up and she opens the conversation. Starts talking. Doesn't even live in Yakima. Lives in Kent. Over for the weekend. Grew up here. Born, raised here. Had a child at a very early age, so she went to an alternative school. And I realized in our time, as brief as it was together... She had met this young man the night before. And you have young people that are empty and just filling void temporarily. She'll sleep it all off for a day. And then she'll get up and she'll drive back to Kent. She'll go to work on Monday. And she'll continue to live with the shame and the regret and then she'll repeat the process again. How do I know that? Because if I've experienced that once, I've experienced it five to 10 times in the last three to four months. And I was praying for them and calling their name. And in doing so, I was like, God, I don't know what to do, I I don't know how to help. I don't know what to say. I mean, I could call them out. I I don't think that's what the Lord wants me to do. I've wanted to a time or two. I can tell you there's a part of my spirit that's crying out. What are you doing? so I find myself praying, God, somehow, I don't know how, somehow, I need to be able to manifest your love to them. How can I, what can I say? What can I do? What is the way in which your love can be made? manifest to them. How can they come to know that you love them more than what they're doing with their life? That you see value in them. How can I express to them some way your love for that they would know that it wouldn't just be words. I don't want it to just be words. And I know there's power in the spoken word, but I'm not interested in just a word. There's got to be something that moves of word and spirit that reaches into their heart and into their life. And you understand today, I'm no longer motivated by duty. There's something of the love of God that is constraining me, that's impelling me. It's a and I'm telling you, we have to make a transition to where we do not operate in duty. I know that souls are one because people operate in duty, and I thank God for that. He'll use whatever he can. But there's gotta be something that moves us, it says. I'm no longer trying to just talk about the Lord because I think it's a duty and I hear that's sort of a cool thing we're doing. No, 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 it's not a cool thing. It's a calling of God. It's a compelling of the Spirit. It's the love of God that constrains us to this. But I can't do it in human compassion, human effort, human desire. It's got to be birthed of the love of God. So what has to happen first and foremost, I have to... In two parts. Number one, I have to see and have a fresh glimpse of his love. And secondly, I have to make the transition from duty to operating in love. When it becomes my motivator, it will affect everything I do. Verse 16. Watch verse 17. Therefore... If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us. Now, notice, he's reconciled. Love did that. Love did that. Love brought you and I back into right relationship with God. You you hear the term of people who get divorced. They'll often quote these phrases irreconcilable differences. Something they couldn't reconcile and make right. And so they just went their separate ways. This is what happened to the world. We could not reconcile with God because of our sin. And so the love of God was manifested to us in order to reconcile what we could not. I've witnessed and counseled had conversations through the years in situations where there were two parties that were divided because of something that took place. And the only thing that would fix it and bring correction, all of the responsibility there was on one side of that. Because the other side had already done everything they could do. And until that one on the other side acted, it would remain unreconciled that makes sense this is the world of sin that he so loved and died for he knew they can never be reconciled it they will remain forever divided unless i take a step that makes a way for reconciliation His desire for reconciliation was not to, as some reconcile, to clear his conscience. It wasn't to try to be a good person. It was love. Love is what led him to the cross in order to reconcile a world that could not be reconciled otherwise. And so once he has done this and he reconciled you and I, brought us back to himself... By His love. He then gives us the very same ministry that He operated in. The ministry of reconciliation. And we think we can do that without operating in the same way that He did, the love of God? The only way the true ministry of reconciliation operates is through the love of God. And so we need... This is why the adversary... Causes people to believe the lie that the Lord doesn't love you because if he can get you to believe that you'll never fully manifest the love of God to somebody else But we just need to settle something once and for all He loves me He loves me. He loves me as I am. He loved me when I was lost and broken He loves me when I fail. He loves me when I get it right. He loves me when I mess up He loves me when I don't mess up. He doesn't love me more or less. He loves me He loves me he loves me in my imperfection he loves me in my flaws it doesn't mean he accepts him he's going to correct me that's what love does but he loves me i need to stop wrestling with this i need to settle it you know how you'll settle it get your eyes on the cross Look afresh and anew at blood-stained hands and feet. Look afresh and anew at a crown of thorns and a ripped and shredded back. Look afresh and anew. It's the full, complete, greatest expression of love there's ever been. And so we have to settle that so that we can walk in this ministry of reconciliation fully and effectively the way God intends. Because we will only have so much success operating in duty. And by success, I simply mean a life repentant and reconciled to God. But i got to have the love of God operating in me and through me. And so I'm praying. Lord, this this is my prayer. I want your love operating in me. And I want it operating through me. I want your love to be made manifest in my words. I want your love to be made manifest in my actions. I want your love to be made manifest in my attitude. I want in every, every, every part, aspect of my life, I want the love of God to be made manifest. Because love reconciles. Love reconciles. he's committed to us or given us the ministry to wit that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation what is all this about it go back to verse 14 you don't have to but just go with me back to verse 14 here in your thoughts the love of christ constraineth us what does it constrain us to reconciliation it constrains us to this ministry is this making sense. Not the duty. Yes, I have a duty, because the commandment is go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's the commandment. Now I can do that out of obligation and duty, or I can be constrained by love. The love of God is my motivator. And then when I look at my coworker, I don't see from a place of duty. Yes, I feel the burden of responsibility but the love of God impels me to open my mouth. The love of God urges me to say something. The love of God urges me to involve. I'm not operating in human compassion, human will. I'm denying my own will. So the love of God is now directing me. This is what Paul's talking about. This is what he's describing to us. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Notice those words. We pray in Christ's stead. I'm standing in Christ's place. I'm not making myself Christ, but if I'm going to stand in His place, I better reoperating be in His love and by His Spirit. Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But I want you to see chapter 6 quickly, verse 1. We then, this is all a result of what the love of God constrains us to do. We then, as workers together with him. Because of the love of God, I'm now working with him. I want to participate in what he's doing. I want to function in what he's functioning. I want to do what he did. I'm a worker together with him now. But it's the love of God that encourages me to do this. I beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. He's talking to the church. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured That security is to draw you to himself draw you to himself. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The love of Christ constrains us to a ministry of reconciliation. Holy Ghost is wanting to take us from duty to love. We are made, First Peter 2 tells us, we are made partakers of His divine nature. And so we fellowship Him, we come to know the love of God and then manifest it. So how does the love of God work in our life? How does the love of God? Well, it's very clear to us. We see it in Romans chapter 5 and 5. It says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that's given to us. So when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you receive what was needful and necessary in order for the love of God to be shed abroad in your heart. And so you definitely, and I definitely have to continue to fellowship Him. That keeps it shed abroad in my heart. Anybody want to see the work of the Spirit in your life? Anybody interested in walking in the gifts of the Spirit in your life? You want to see gifts of the Spirit in operation on your job, throughout your day, in the marketplace, in interactions at the park? Anybody? You believe the Lord wants to do these things? Absolutely He does. You want your faith to be operative? You want your faith to anybody? Do you know what the Word tells me about these things? We find it in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 and 6 tells us that faith works by love. Did you know that? Faith comes by what? Hearing. hearing. And hearing by the... That's how faith comes. But how does faith work? Faith works by love. Faith doesn't work by hearing and knowledge and intellect. Faith works by love. Read it. Galatians, put it up there. Galatians 5 and 6. See, though, no, I'm not making it up. Faith works by love. By human love, not a chance. But when the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, in my heart, by the Holy Ghost, and I begin to yield to the love of God. I'm like this, this is more than a warm and fuzzy, you understand. I come to recognize how deep, how great, how His love is beyond what I can comprehend. And I see and recognize the love that He has for me. I receive it and I so receive it and it so moved me and it so changed me that I want the love of God to reach to every soul I come in contact with. I want you to know the love of God the way. I want you to, I, I meet somebody, oh, I wish they knew the love of God. It would deliver them from the bondage of sin. It would free them from the shame and the guilt and the hurt if they knew the love of God. And so how do I set them free? Lord, you can set them free. I need a work. They need deliverance. How does deliverance work? Deliverance is an operation of the spirit. I need faith to see it happen. How does faith work? Faith works by love. Not by duty. Isn't it amazing? It doesn't say faith works by authority. I believe there will be spiritual authority. But it works by love. It operates through love. We need the love of God operating daily in my life you can keep reading down in Galatians chapter 5 we won't forsake of time but Paul keeps talking to the church at Galatians and I, I know Galatians 5 talks about walking in the spirit not in the flesh and all those things but you got to look at the thread that's throughout there he also tells us by love serve one another not duty not a, by love my motivator is love he goes on to say in the next verse I think it's verse 14 he says, This, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor. That's the fulfillment of the law. Hold on, the law is my duty. You say, But I'm not under the law. Oh, no, I'm not. But by the Spirit living in me, I fulfill the things that are in the law. And I don't, that's what Paul said about the Gentiles to the Jews. You're trying to keep the law and you can't. But the Gentiles are filled with the Spirit and they're doing the things that are in the law and they don't even know it. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Ghost. And love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to fulfill the duty of God for your life? Get a revelation of his love. Let the love of God operate in you, with you, and through you. And you'll fulfill the will of God. It becomes a motivator. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. That's the fulfillment of the law. Who's your neighbor? (laughs) Oh, somebody asked that question somewhere in the scripture, didn't they? Remember Jesus shared that? Well, Lord, I I have a uh, clarifying question here. Look, they were just as human then as we are right now. I mean, after all, who's my neighbor? And of course, the Lord tells the parable of the man who was on the road and was taken by robbers and left for dead. And a priest walks by, a Levite and a Pharisee walks by, and then a Samaritan, oh, good for nothing Samaritan, you know, this half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile. But the Samaritan walks by and sees him and stops, and the Samaritan pours oil in his wounds. The Samaritan cleans him up. The Samaritan takes him and puts him on his own burt, on his own animal, takes him to an inn, a safe place to stay puts him up there and tells the innkeeper, if he has need of anything else, let me know, and I'll take care of it when I come again. And the Lord says, now, who is his neighbor? The Pharisee? The Levitical priest? Or that half-Jew, half-Gentile that ministered to his need? Who's my neighbor? All the law is fulfilled. In one word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. As yourself. It is the beckoning call of God. And we can never fulfill the duty. The commands. All the commands of God. If we're just trying to satisfy obligations. We must be constrained by the love of God. The moment we try to just fulfill commands based on keeping up with a list, we are pharisaical and we are performance based and we only feel as good about ourselves as our last performance. Rather than walking in the love of God, this is his plan. Stand with me today. I asked you before, I'll ask you again. You want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? They operate through love. I'm I'm guilty of thinking maybe we don't see the gifts of the Spirit operate as much as we should in our daily lives because maybe we don't pray enough, maybe we don't fast enough, maybe we right. I'm not saying I don't think we can pray too much or fast too much. You understand? But I'm not so sure that's the issue. I think the issue is love. The gifts of the Spirit operate through love. I'm not telling you you don't love people. You understand me this morning. But we really do have to become vessels of the love of God. Receive it. Give it. Freely you have received. Now what? Freely give. Freely give. Freely give. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love, is in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. I know you knew that because you can count. But it's there because 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are all about spiritual gifts and operation. And the Apostle Paul was making it clear to the church... Love is what all the gifts are supposed to operate through. I don't care if you speak with the tongues of men and angels, if you give your body to be burned, if you take all you have and give it to the poor, if you don't have love, you're nothing, he said. Not human love, the love of God operating through our lives. It constrains us. We have to make this move. Individually and collectively. And understand this morning, ministering these things, I'm not saying none of us operate in this place. You, you know that today. I have witnessed, even in this last week, conversations with several of you. I've witnessed, man, that's beautiful. That is the love of God operating. I don't have time to talk. I'll tell you, and you can go talk to them and hear the beauty. I, I talked to Gabe and Sandra the other night, got to visit with them a little bit, Man, I heard the love of God operating through them. I could tell people. I've still got names turned into my heart from time with them where the love of God, they gave themselves to the love of God and began to love people. And God's doing a work. I was so deeply moved. I expressed it to them watching and hearing Sandra loving Gabe's parents. She's going to love them right on back to God along with Gabe. what they're doing it's the love of god operating through them i heard brother Rigo talking about a friend javier riding in his truck and i hear this story the love of god operating reaching to that young man it's the love of god sanchez making their trip to idaho it was love that motivated them and god used it and they got to see family members baptized in jesus name we rejoice. the love of god so so i know this is operating in our lives. I've witnessed it in so many of you. I can tell, we just need this fully and completely more than ever before. It's the world changer. It is, his love is the world changer. And so I have to recognize where I'm operating in duty without love being my motivator. Does that statement make sense? If my only motivator is, well, I I wanna do my duty, I can't stay there. Don't stop doing your duty, you understand. But talk to the Lord about that and say, okay, Lord, I, I want to be operating in love. I want, I want your love to be the force that is impelling me. I want your love to be the force that is moving me. Help me to understand that, to recognize, to be. And I promise you, you'll know when you come under the influence of his love. Because you'll begin acting and doing in ways that are not typical for you. (laughs) I know some of you don't think so, but I'm telling you. You will start acting out of character because you'll no longer be operating in your human character. You'll be operating in the character and the nature of God. You're like, this is so. You've heard me say it before. I'm an introvert through and through. Anything you see that's not introvert, it's not me. Okay, so what happens? You and I, the love of God begins to, it urges us. It's a force. It's a force that begins to move us. I can't just pass by this situation. The love of God has urged me to get involved. I do not mean you get involved in every single thing you come by. You respond to the love of God. Hear me. Your prayer life, your prayer life can start out of a place of duty, but it's got to move into a place of love. I so love my time with him. I so love fellowshipping him. I love communion with him and him talking to me. I love the being and abiding in his presence. I'm not in any hurry to move on. Why? Because I'm not fulfilling a duty. I love a place of prayer and communion with him. I don't fast out of duty. Yes, I recognize it's a scriptural command, but I love him. I want to draw closer to him. I want to know him more. And so I want to deny myself. Love is my motivator to do that just giving you these examples. I, I, don't, I don't give. We You know, you return tithe and offer. I don't give out of duty. Duty may be where it starts, but I have a love for the kingdom of God. I love the privilege of being able to return what he's put in my. It becomes a love. That's why the Lord loves a cheerful giver. My motive goes from duty to the love of God is what now. It's the force and everything. And so What we do when we go to our place of prayer is we begin to say, God, examine my life. Anything I do in relationship and walk with you where I'm doing it and it feels like I'm just doing my duty, give me a fresh revelation of your love in that area. I want the love of God to be a motivator in my life. Would you talk to Him where you are right now? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. come on. there's going to be a baptism, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, a baptism of the love of God. It's got to be a work of his spirit. We can't work it up. Lord, baptize us with your love. I pray let our mind be anointed by the love of God. Let our thoughts, O Lord, be motivated by the love of God. Let our actions and our attitude and our words be ever rooted in the love of God. I pray a fresh revelation of how great your love. And I pray an opening of our spirit to receive and to give of the love of God. That we would be that which your love flows through. Vessels of the love of God. Reaching and operating. Everywhere we go, when we wake in the morning, let the love of God draw us to a closet of prayer. When we go about our day, let the love of God cause our eyes to see clearly, not looking on human flesh, but seeing with the eyes of your Spirit. Lord, when we're in our work day, let us see and hear with the love of God. Let us recognize the love of God and let us minister in love, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray an impartation of your spirit. Let again and anew the love of God be shed abroad in our heart by your indwelling spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I would that it would manifest, Lord, everywhere we go. I would that it would be made manifest everywhere we go. By your grace, let it be made manifest everywhere we go. Every soul that you would bring us in contact with. I pray the manifestation of your love, Jesus not something forced of my human effort, but that which flows from a place of fellowship with you, that which flows out of a place of communion with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray. Give me a love for the world, for humankind that which I read about in your word, that which motivated you to a cross, that love which caused you to lay down your life as a ransom for many. I pray even so, let it move me, let it constrain me to a place of laying down my life for all those that it could be a ransom for. You know, Father, the many lives represented in this room as we will willingly lay down our life You see, Father, through this 50, 60, 70 people, Lord, you see and know the many lives that we can be a ransom.